Well, hey, Joey at first. So good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. If you're new here, thank you for taking time out of your day. I know it's a beautiful fall day, and you could be at a pumpkin patch with your kids or doing whatever you want to do, but you've taken time out of your day to be with us, and we're so thankful for that. Make sure, if you didn't get a mug, where are my mug people? Uh, make sure those people get a mug, and if you don't, we'll have to hunt you down. So anyway, um, we're in the middle of a series called The Good and Beautiful God, and um, if you've not been part of the series, let me just say this. I don't have time to recap the last last six weeks, five weeks. So you can go online and, and you can go to our website and catch the messages on the media page. Or if you don't have time to watch like most of us, or you just don't want to stare at my ugly mug for over uh, 30 minutes, then you can go on our podcast. And while you're at work, if you just need um, something to listen to, or maybe you need white noise to drown out your kids, uh, you can go to our podcast and you'll find us there. And you can listen and catch up on all the messages from the previous weeks. But we are in this series called The Good and Beautiful God. And the problem for many of us is, is we have perceptions and myths about God that we think are true, that aren't true about God at all. And so today we are going to dive into a talk that I think many of us need to hear, that many of you have heard before, but I hope that you can listen to it with new ears this morning. So would you pray for me before we get started? Lord, we give thanks for this time of teaching. We give thanks for this opportunity to, to worship you, to be with you, to glorify you in this moment. I pray that your words would be heard this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, we were in a staff meeting, and I I heard a knock on the door. And at first I thought it was an accident, but then the pounding got a little bit louder and a little bit louder. And there's nothing more frustrating to me than when somebody interrupts my staff meeting. Interrupt my staff meeting, and it's over with. And so the pounding and pounding got louder, and I just ignored it. And finally the door opened, and behind the door was the face of Kathy Yanchek. Oh, man. So if you know Kathy, you know it's like she is the sweetest person you've ever met in your life. And it's like, how can you be mad at her? And so I'm just like, oh, man, it's Kathy. And um, Kathy said, Pastor, I need you for a minute. And if Kathy needs me, I know it's important. So I went into the office, and sitting there was a young lady who visibly was sunburned, she was famished, and looked like she was in desperate need of help. In fact, she began to share a story with us, and she, she had you know, described to us that she had um, a previous life of addiction with drugs. She told us that story, that she had a, a felony conviction, and that she, she was just struggling. She needed help. And so we listened to her, and we loved her in that moment. We helped her the best that we could. Uh, but at the end of that conversation, uh, Kathy... Kathy said to her, hey, we would just love for you to come join us on Sunday. We would just love for you to come be part of our church. Listen, we don't pressure people in the church. We don't believe in that here. But we do like to invite people just because we, we like what we do here. And so she invited her, and I could see there was a bit of hesitancy on her face. There was a little bit of reluctance on her face. And Kathy asked her, she said, what's wrong? And she said, listen, um, not too long ago, uh, I went to another church not too far from here. And she said, I realized the morning that I woke up that I wasn't going to look as good. I wasn't going to be as pretty. I didn't have the dress. I didn't have the makeup. She said, I just knew that I was going to go because my life was messed up. And she said, I simply went the way I was. I like that. I simply went the way I was. I went with holy jeans on. I went with a t-shirt on. I went with my hair pulled up. I didn't have makeup on and I hadn't showered. And she said, I will never forget. I walked into that church. And the pastor stood up and he said, 
we don't allow your type here. And she said it was the most humiliating moment of my life. And she said, I vowed when I walked out of that church that I would never go back again. Now, we tried to tell her, like, we're not that kind of church. We love everybody. In fact, Kathy was like, our pastor doesn't even wear a suit. He just wears jeans. And if you didn't get the plaid memo today, I'm sorry, you're, you're out. But, uh, but here's, I share that story with you because it's interesting. that What I think the pastor was saying in that moment, what he was saying to her was, you aren't good enough. That you, your life, what the language, the story, uh, what, the heart of what's going on in that story is it has to do with performance-based acceptance. Performance-based acceptance. And here's the reality. If you want to live well, you have to perform well. Performing well in life is a life well lived. That if you begin to perform well in life, you'll live a good life. And when you live a good life, people will accept you based upon that life that you've performed. Right? We live in a performance-based accepted culture that if we perform well, we will be accepted. We live in the energy of a performance-based acceptance culture. And here's what's interesting. You don't know it, but at the very, very ripe age of two and three, you were being taught this very teaching. Here's why. Do you remember when you were a kid and your parents were quick? They were quick to commend you when you did well, and they were quick to correct you when you did things that were bad. Many of you know that when you ate your vegetables, you ate all your veggies and all your fruits, your parents were like, oh, good job, great job, keep eating. But then that moment when you had your hand in the cookie jar, and they came down and they found you, and you're like, oh. Right, they corrected you in that moment because you didn't ask for the cookie. They corrected you in that moment. And as a child, you can think back to that time. As a child, when you felt corrected, you didn't feel accepted. You felt like, oh, man, my parents are so mad at me. And we know that parents... That's not how it works. Love is love. We get that. But as a child, you don't feel accepted in that moment. It works like this in our our kids' lives, my kids' lives. They are on a soccer team. And the league has taught them to say, and they will tell you that everyone wins. Not in my house. In my house, there is a winner and a loser. And when we go to the soccer games, we don't go to the soccer games for everyone to win. We go to the soccer games so my kids can win. In fact, when we go to the games, we walk away and we will talk with our boys about who won, about how many goals were scored, who scored those goals, and what they can do to perform better on the soccer field. Now, unintentionally, I don't think this is what we're trying to teach them, but unintentionally, what we're saying is, if you win, you're in. If you perform well, you'll be accepted. I don't know if you know this, but March Madness, the basketball tournament of March Madness, does not continue because everybody wins. Like, that would be a never-ending tournament if everybody won. No, there is a winner and a loser, and when you perform well on the court, you are accepted. You move on to the next level. This is how it works in life. Your teachers, right? Teachers have teacher's pets because teacher's pets do well in school, not because they create a lot of work for the teacher. When you are in your job, you have an evaluation, and those evaluations are based upon your performance, and a non-performing person we know gets fired. Like politicians, politicians have approval ratings, and those approval ratings are best are, are determined by how well 
they perform. Pastors, I hate to tell you, but unfortunately, I feel this pressure. That as a pastor, your acceptance of me is based upon how well I do. If I'm kind enough, if I say the right things, if I don't make mistakes, if I make the right decisions, if I teach or preach well, like, let's just be honest. Nobody wants to hear a boring sermon. So if you're asleep, I'm sorry. But, but we live, we live off the energy of a performance acceptance culture. Now, here's what's wrong with performance, right? I want to talk to you about performance for a minute. I define it this way. It's not uh, Webster's definition. This is my definition. I like my own definitions better. Performance is consistently putting on your best self. Performance is consistently putting on your best self. Do you remember back when you were in musicals or you in plays or you were in the sports arena, right? You rehearsed and you rehearsed and you rehearsed and you rehearsed and you practiced and you practiced because you wanted to put on the best show. You wanted to put on the best basketball game that you've ever played. Right? Nobody shows up because they want to see you lose. Nobody shows up because they want to watch you mess up all of your lines. Nobody shows up because they want to hear somebody sing poorly. Nobody shows up because they want to hear you do that. No, they want you to consistently put on your best self. And here's what I know. When in a performance-based acceptance culture, we continually, we continually try to put on our best self. But the problem with that is it leaves no room for failure. It leaves no room for letdown. It leaves no room whatsoever for mistakes. Because when you make mistakes, when you don't perform well, we feel like we don't belong. And when we feel like we don't belong, we feel like we are not accepted. Anybody understand what I'm throwing down today? Anybody there? Anybody feel like they're not feeling accepted by, on how they perform in life? You know, what's really scary to me is that this is how we understand God. Right? This is how we perceive God, is that we live performance life in order to please God. But here's the problem with that. We end up creating what I call the swivel chair God. Y'all met this swivel chair God before? Here's how it works. I'm God, not really, but I'm going to play God and you can play me. Sound good? Or whoever you are today. This is swivel chair God, right? So it goes like this. Oh, you came to church today. Fantastic. Good to see you. Wait a, wait a minute. It's not even that you just slept with somebody. It's about that you're just going to sleep in and totally ignore me today. Okay, that's fine. You want to ignore me? Fine. Oh, wait, what's that? I hear, I hear, ooh, yes, prayers. I love prayers. Yes, thank you for praying today. So good to see you. Wait a minute. Did you say you're going to go to the Bears game and not spend time with me today? I mean, the, I don't know if you know this, but the Bears are horrible. They're worse than the Bengals. And... Um, so you're just going to skip church so you can go to bear? Okay, fine. That's fine. You know. Oh, what? Oh, listen to that. Oh, what is that? Oh, man, that's pocket change. Somebody's given today. Woohoo! I love you. This is good. Oh, here he goes again. Oh, getting wasted with his friends. Fine. I guess I'll just ignore him today. This is how it works, right? Swivel chair God. You've experienced this God, right? You feel like when you perform well, man, God is on your side. But the minute that you do something wrong or you make a mistake, he's turning his back on you. 
And so we live off this energy. We live off the energy of a performance-based culture. But I wonder, I wonder if there's something different guiding the hearts of humanity. This is the question I've been asking myself. And this is what we've been asking over the last five weeks. We say this, that our understanding of God has to be consistent with the God Jesus reveals. That our understanding of God has to be consistent with the God that Jesus reveals. And the question I've been asking, is this, is this God, is this performance acceptance God, the swivel chair God, the God that Jesus reveals to us today? And what I think you'll find, and what, I, what I'm beginning to learn, is that there is a different energy guiding the hearts of humanity. And I wonder, I wonder, at the heart of that, if it is love. I wonder, if you wonder, if God is love. So this morning we're going to look at a story written by a man named Matthew. And before we look at his story, before he tells us his story, I want to talk to you about his life real quick. The one thing I love about Matthew that you may not know is I feel, to my own recollection, that Matthew is the only one, Matthew is the only one that tells us the truth about who he is. There is no other gospel writer, there is no other person who tells us about his life. Mark and Luke don't tell us anything about them in their own stories. John brags about himself in his own story. In fact, John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. I mean, if that's not arrogant, I don't know what is. But John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And then he tells us, he tells us on the day of the resurrection that he outran everybody else. Like he was better, he was faster, he performed better than everybody else. But Matthew, Matthew is the only writer that tells us, that tells us truly what is going on in his life. And he writes to us today about this performance-based acceptance culture that he lives in. But before I can get there, I need to tell you the context. I need you to understand what's going on before Matthew tells us his story. See, Jesus has just started his ministry. He gives us this amazing speech about the way that he thinks the world looks And everybody's like, whoa, that's like some hippie pie-in-the-sky stuff. I I, I like what you're saying, Jesus, but in our world where we live, that just doesn't work. And so Jesus quickly understands that if we want to understand what he is saying, we have to watch what he does. If you want to know what Jesus said, you just watch what he did. And so Jesus immediately comes down from talking to everybody, and he begins to work in the life of people. He begins to perform miracles. He begins to heal people. He begins to speak truth into people's lives. And one of the stories that Matthew tells right before his story is this story about a paralyzed man. See, Jesus meets this paralyzed man. His friends bring him up on the mat, and he heals the guy. We know the story. It's a great story. But here's what I want you to know is that many believe the man was paralyzed, not not from a physical ailment. He was not paralyzed because he was run over by a donkey cart. He wasn't paralyzed because his parents had done something wrong in their previous life. That's what the Jews believed at the time. There are some who believe that the reason this man was paralyzed is because he did something so wrong in his life. So wrong in his life that mentally and physically it left him paralyzed. Have you all ever done something in your life that was so bad? Have you done something in your life that was so bad that the only thing that you could do was you could come home and you could sit on the chair and stare out the window? And your wife is like waving her hand in front of your face and she's slapping you and she's trying to wake you up. But you've done something so bad that you just can't move. Many scholars believe this is what has happened to this man. And the reason why I think Matthew puts this story before his story today 
is because Matthew wants us to know that he is the paralyzed man. You see, he lives, he lives in a world where everything is based upon performance, and we'll get into his story in a minute, but he is not well-liked by many people. And I think he wants us to identify him as the paralyzed man this morning, and then he gets to tell us this awesome story. So we're going to look at Matthew 9. We're going to start with verses 9, 10, 9 and 10, and we'll continue in the story from there. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, this is Matthew's story, he saw a man named Matthew, so Matthew's telling us about himself, Sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. This is Jesus. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was di having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I want to stop there for a minute because this is, this is good stuff. Matthew gives us some detail that I think we think are throwaway statements. Matthew tells us that he, he is in a tax collector's booth. And I think we just kind of overlooked that, like, whatever. But listen, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are certain kind of people that sit in tax collector's booth. And, and I don't know if you've ever considered, have you ever driven up 355 and thought to yourself, hey, I would like to go have a drink with the people that are collecting my iPass today. Or I would like to go take a meal and sit in the booth while other people drive through and collect taxes today. No, you would never think about that. Your goal is to get through iPass, hoping they'll never scan your little barcode, and you'll make it pass and not get charged, right? So you drive like 100, even though it says like 50, and it still doesn't work. But Matthew tells us he's in a tax collector's booth. Why? Because he is a tax collector. And nobody hangs with tax collectors. And here's why. At the beginning of Matthew's day, every day, he has to go and pay an amount of money to the people that are over him. So he is negative. He is netting a negative before he even starts his day. And then he has to go out and he has to recoup every dime that he lost to the Roman Empire. And so what does he do? He cheats people out of money. He steals their money. He takes their money. And people begin to hate him because they know that they're being cheated. But you know what? They have to pay it. So he knows that he's hated because he's cheating people out of money. But even worse, Matthew was a Jew. And the fact is, he had to pay that money to the Roman Empire, who they hated. So he was doubly hated. He was like a Benedict Arnold. People couldn't stand him. Because not only was he stealing their money, but he was also pledging allegiance to a government that was ruling and running their lives. So people couldn't stand him. And what he understood in life was that he lived an evil life. And that people around him didn't accept him because his performance in life wasn't good enough. He was a bad person. And so people did not accept him. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in his story and he says, follow me. Now, I love those words. But I don't really don't really want to look at those words this morning, follow me. I want to look at Matthew's response. It says that Matthew got up and followed him. What I find interesting about Matthew's response is Matthew is not concerned on whether he is good enough. In this moment, Matthew realizes that Jesus is doing something completely different in the world. The very thing that he was talking about previously. He's doing something different in the world. And so he doesn't have to evaluate if his performance is good enough. He simply knows that this Jesus is accepting him for who he is. I like that. So there's no need to evaluate, Matthew, whether I'm good enough. You see, we do this all the time. 
I've heard people numbers and I mean numerous times say to me, yeah, I'll come to church when I. Or I'll decide to follow Christ when I get rid of. Or when my kids move on to, I'll, and we make all these excuses. We make all these excuses as to why we're not good enough or why we feel like we can't follow or belong in a community called the church. And that's heartbreaking. But I, but I love this. In verse 10, it says that Jesus was sitting with how many? Many tax collectors. Jesus was sitting with many tax collectors and sinners. Many. Not just one. And I think about this. Are these people good? Nope. Are they doing well in life? Nope. Are they mean? Yes. Are they evil? Yes. Are they accepted by everybody else? No. And here is Jesus sitting down with them. Because we believe in a God who hangs out with sinners. We believe in a God who hangs out with who you are. I love that thought. You see, we consistently say that we, we, we will understand the nature of God by seeing the person, the God that Jesus reveals. Well, this is who Jesus reveals today. It doesn't matter what you do or how well you perform. He simply says, I love you for who you are, and you are accepted. It's funny, in verse 11, we, we see Jesus talking with some other people gathered around there. The Pharisees, my favorite people. I'm one of them, I suppose, so whatever. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I'm not going to dissect this statement, but here's what I know. We find Jesus later on in another account sitting with these very people eating dinner. So he eats dinner with tax collectors, but he also eats, he also eats dinner with religious people. He eats dinner with People who are legalist. I don't know if you know this, but legal, legalism is simply your ability to control God. Your attempt to control God. That's what legalism is. Legalism is your attempt to control God's favor for you. So here's what you need to understand. When, he, when he's meeting with these Pharisees, he wants to say, listen, your performance doesn't matter to me. See, you, you think you can control me by how you behave and what you do and how many prayers you say and how long your robe is and how perfectly you do things. But he says, no, 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 no. I want you to understand a, a new way of thinking, my friends. I don't care about your performance. In fact, Jesus tells him this story. It's one of my favorites. He says, do you remember the time when you wanted freedom in your life? Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, do you remember the, the, the time you wanted freedom in your life? But you had that parent who loved you, who cared for you, who nurtured you in every moment of your life. But you felt like, man, their love was just this grip that wouldn't let go. He says, do you remember the spouse who, who made you feel like you were suffocated in your marriage, even though she served you to no end? And so you decided that you would find freedom in your own selfishness. He says, you, you remember, Jesus says, you remember this, right? So you thought it would be best for you to move out, and you moved down to an apartment down the street, and you decided that you were going to find friends and coworkers that would make you belong, make you feel accepted. You were going to do things that gave you freedom. But your belonging was only as deep as the needle in your arm. Your, your belonging was only as good as the hangover that you woke up to the next day. And, oh, by the way, remember the person that you woke up to that, that promised you the world but only used you for that intimate moment and then you felt deflated? Yeah, do you remember that belonging and that freedom? 
He said, do you remember when you, you took that job? You took that job so you could work all those long hours and you didn't have to spend time with your family or the spouse that suffocated you and you could just kind of move away and wipe them out of your life and you found your belonging in the hours that you worked. Do you remember those days? Freedom. Jesus goes on to say to him, he says, maybe I'm not connecting with you righteous people. He says, have you, have you ever, remember the day that you wanted freedom from yourself? Do you, do you remember that? He said, do you remember when you decided that you weren't worth living? You decided that your life was so miserable that there, there was nothing in your life that was worth living. So you decided that you were going to turn to pills to numb the pain. But the pills didn't work. So you decided that you were going to put a noose around your neck. And that was going to be life right there for you. He said, do you remember thinking freedom, freedom would be found in taking your own life because you hated yourself? Because you didn't perform well in life? Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, do you remember the, the, the time that you retired and you said that you were going to travel the world and you were going to meet all kinds of people because that's what freedom was going to be. No longer having to work a job. But then do you remember the moment that after you retired, you realized that you felt like you no longer had purpose? And he said, when, when you realized you no longer had purpose, you were just going to succumb to the word re which means to do again, tired. You were just going to be tired again and again and again. And you were just waiting out your life, just waiting out your time to die. Jesus says, you remember this. He said, do you remember the day that you woke up, though, and there was sun on your face? Do you remember the day that the sun shone on your face and you felt a warmth in your body? And he says, do you remember the moment when you realized there was a different energy guiding the heart of humanity? And in that moment, you realized, you realized what you had been missing out on your whole life. It was love. It was love. It was the parents that cared for you to no end. It was the spouse who served you even though you felt suffocated. It was when you realized that you did have value and it wasn't based upon your performance. He said, do you remember that feeling of love? He said, do you remember the moment when you decided you wanted to go back to your parents? You wanted to go back to your, your spouse? Do you remember the moment when you wanted to, to see deep within your soul if you could love yourself again? But once again, you were filled with fear. Fear, filled with fear that they wouldn't accept you. Accept you because your behavior was not deserving of their love. And then Jesus said, but you went to the door and you knocked. And when they opened the door, your parent, your spouse, and even you smiled with grace. Because love wins. You see, you know this story, right? It's the prodigal son. I don't know why they call it the prodigal son because it should be called the prodigal father. It should be called the prodigal parent. It should be called the prodigal spouse. It should be the, called the prodigal you because prodigal means reckless extravagance. Reckless extravagance. And I don't know if you know this, but God, there's a story about a God who has a love that is recklessly extravagant for people who live reckless lives. So here's what I want you to know today. 
God is love. God, that's right, amen. God is love. And you're saying, Pastor, I know that. Hey, listen, we've been in church for 20 years. I get that. I know that. Well, can I ask you this question? Why don't you feel loved? Why don't you feel loved? You see, if God is love, then I want you to know this. You are loved. And the reason why you don't feel loved, the reason why I don't feel loved, is because we don't feel like we measure up half the time. We don't feel like we are good enough, we, we work hard enough as spouses, we do well enough in our jobs. We feel like we are constantly trying to reach a bar that we can't reach. And because we feel like we can't reach it, we feel like we're not accepted. And our acceptance, we think, determines our love. Can I just say this this morning? That love, love does not live. Love does not live under the limits of performance. Love does not live under the limits of performance. And what I want you to know today is... There is a God, and what Jesus reveals to us today, you can be the worst person in the world. You could have the worst life in the world. And what he says is, I don't care. I simply want you to know that you are loved and that there is a different energy guiding the heart of humanity. And I am guiding you toward that kind of love. So good. So here's what I want you to know today. I find it interesting at the end of the story that Jesus says... At the end of this story that Matthew tells us, he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And what I find funny about Jesus using that language is that he puts mercy and sacrifice together. But that was how people understood mercy, was by giving sacrifice. People understood mercy by how well they performed. Pharisees understood mercy by how much they did and how much they sacrificed. And Jesus says, listen... I'm done with the performance. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve called mercy. That's right. But what I love is this. He says, go and learn. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I want you to take a philosophy class on what love is about. I don't want you to have an existential discussion or a theological discussion what love is. He says, I want you to go and learn what love is. So here's, here's what I need you to do, and here's what I want you to know in this part, too. Is that love, love is learned, not earned. Love is learned, not earned, when we love someone who doesn't know they're loved. Learning the love of God requires loving one who doesn't know they're loved. Some of you need to wake up in this moment, because this is a profound, profound statement. You want to know why you don't understand the love of God? Because you haven't learned to love someone else. Learning the love of God requires loving one who doesn't know they're loved. You know, it's pretty easy to love people who've got it right. It's pretty easy to love people who look like you, who look like me. It's pretty easy to love people who have their life together. We like hanging out with those people. Nobody really likes. Nobody really likes loving people that are messy. Nobody wants to mentor people that require their time. And I want you to know that learning the love, notice I don't say earning the love, I say learning the love of God requires you to invest in another life. So here's what I want you to do. I'm just asking some questions. 
Who are you mentoring? Your children, that's right. Who are you mentoring? Some of us have been in the church for 20, 30, 40 years and have not led one person to know that God is the loving Savior. Who are you mentoring? Who are you coaching? Who are you teaching? Whose lives are you loving that are messy today? I know we live in a culture where it's all about us, but I hate to tell you this morning, it's all about them. It's all about them. So we're going to do something different this morning. Typically what we do is we, we come and we gather around the table. We eat the meal together. We eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ as a way of experiencing God's grace. But this morning I want to do something different, something we don't normally do. Something we, we, we try not to do because it makes people feel uncomfortable. But there are some of you here today. If I could sit in your shoes for just a minute. If you could sit in my shoes for a minute. I would sense that we don't feel loved. We feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we're not performing well enough. And if I could get in your mind for a minute, you're saying, I know that God is love, but I don't feel like God is loving me. Listen, this morning, I'm going to have about three or four uh, people up here this morning that, that would like to pray with you. If you need to experience God's love in a way like you've never experienced it before, I would invite you, I would invite you forward and let us pray over you this morning. If you need God's love and you don't feel like you want anybody to pray for you, this is a space for you where you can pray. (coughs) So this morning, we're going to take the next few minutes and I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you're saying this morning, yes, I need the love of God and I want to acknowledge that God is love. I'll come forward. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for the amazing God that you are. We give thanks that you are a God who hangs with sinners, who hangs with people who are evil and messy and who make mistakes. We love that you reveal to us you're not a God who cares about how well we perform. That if we do all the right things or we say all the right things. That you you meet us where we are and you say, follow me. So I pray this morning for that person who, who needs to acknowledge today that you are love. That you love them and that they could sense your love. And I pray that we would be challenged, not only to sense that love, but to learn the love that you've called us to. So I pray that we would begin to think about who we can mentor, who we can coach, who we can teach, who needs to know the love of you. Would you press those people upon our minds today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.